Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. And we've been walking through a spring preaching series. How many of you glad spring's here? How many of you feel it every morning? Yes, I do. Uh, I love the sun, it's great. And the sneezing, not so much, but the sun's great. Uh, if um, uh, a spring preaching series called Heroes, we're looking at some of the great heroes of the Bible story and learning from them and seeing how we can be encouraged and, uh, and edified and, and equipped to be the heroes that we are called to be. The world needs heroes. We need heroes, someone to look up to. And the world needs people to look up to. And so you are a hero and we want to encourage you to be heroes today. Well, one of the heroes in our church is the great Leanne Perry. <laughs> what a segue. So we need that, that table. Can I, can you get my laptop off? And Because she's Thank got, you. we can't have a Bible on the floor. We're going to get comments on Facebook now. Yeah. <laughs> this is her diary. Uh, it wasn't actually the... <laughs> um, Leanne's been, a, Alex and Leanne uh, serve in a number of areas in our church life. They're part of our oversight team, overseeing eldership team, sort of uh, part of the group that makes the uh, church-wide decisions in, the, in our church family. Uh, she serves on our finance team, does a fantastic job. We had another audit come back last yep. week with Flying Colours. She does a stunning job of that. And so uh, we really are grateful to have her speak today. I love, she's one of my favourite preachers in the house. And uh, if that's you today, if you've been around long enough to remember last time Leanne spoke... So, um, please go, Medea, and uh, surprise us as to your chosen hero today. Yes, yes. I just got to say, coming up with all this stuff, I remember back in the day going to believers' conventions in America, and you know one of the things that really admired me about Gloria Copeland was how much... Well, she actually didn't carry her stuff on stage. She had someone carry all her things. So I will know I have arrived when I not only come with lots of stuff, but someone actually escorts it to the stage <laughs> for me. So just a heads up next time, Chad. Thank you. <laughs> Heroes come in all shapes and sizes. I love this series. This is a very, very good series. And uh, I just want to take you back, or if you have children at home, just think about children love to dress up in superhero costumes. They like to pretend that they're invincible. And we might grow out of the dressing up, but I believe that desire is God-planted inside us to be more than we seem, to have and leave something better behind. And truthfully, he doesn't just give us that desire, he also gives us the power. And I'm gonna revisit this little point later. A hero can be determined and defined by their doing or their being. They might do something remarkably brave or very clever. Or equally, they just might be an individual with character and qualities that are impressive when judged against the normal of their era, regardless of their place in society, regardless of how long they spend in the spotlight Heroes are someone we admire, we're impressed by them, we want to be like them, they inspire us. The heroes we'll look at this morning are not your usual heroes. Their motivation is self 
serving, and that's not a heroic quality, but we will also see their courage not to give up. Courage not to give up, that's an admirable thing. They inspire me not to quit. That too is a wonderful thing. So firstly, we're going to read about three characters, none of whom are our heroes, but they're part of the backstory. So our three characters, we're going to have the king of Syria. He's an enemy. He's the baddie. You can welcome to Boo. King of Syria, he's the enemy. We have the man of God. Now, the man of God is Elisha, and Rob spoke about Elisha a few weeks ago. Our third character, so we've got king of Syria, we've got Elisha, well done, and we've got the king of Israel. Now, he is the king of the northern tribes of, uh, of the Israelites, because I've been doing my Bible reading plan this year. So uh, that's who we will be talking about. If you brought a page-turning Bible today, you might want to find two kings. Get yourselves ready. So this morning, we're going to set the scene. We've got this backstory with our three characters. Uh, we're going to catch our breath with some personal stories. And then we will meet our heroes and see whether they truly do inspire us. So two kings, and we're going to start in chapter 6. We'll bring over the wonderful devices. 6 and verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel and he consulted with his servants saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. So divine intel via Elisha is saving the king of Israel from going where the enemy will be. Verse 11. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? So he thinks he's got a traitor in his ranks. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha. The prophet who's in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Dothan. It's where all the prophets obviously hang out. Uh, if it was here, they'd all be down the anchorage. <laughs> Therefore, he sent horses. And who's he trying to catch? Elisha, the king of Syria sends horses and chariots and a great army there and they came by night and surrounded the city. That is a lot of resource to capture one man. And when the servant of the man of God arose, so the servant, so this now is Elisha's servant, when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots and his servant said to him alas my master what shall we do so he answered do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them as referenced via Romans 8 earlier this morning but here it is the original 
And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Horses and chariots of fire is our clue that we are seeing into the spiritual realm. So I want you to think about that. Are these horses calm? Are you ever playing charades with me? Okay, this is my calm horse. <laughs> Are they skittish? Are they champing at the bit, just waiting for someone to give that word and see them be released? And for any movie buffs, I think Elisha's being a bit crocodile Dundee. That's not horses and chariots. I'll show you horses and chariots. You can be very glad there will be no more impersonations this morning. And Paul Hogan, if you're watching, I'm very sorry. So I want you to remember this description because we're going to refer back to it. Verse 18. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. A spiritual army of great magnitude is poised. We said maybe, 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 maybe calm, maybe skittish. And Elisha goes, dare I say, the more genteel approach and just has them struck with blindness. I don't really know why. But he then leads the blinded army to Samaria, which is the fortified city of the king of Israel, and only then prays for their sight to be reinstated. And then at Elisha's instruction, the king of Israel feeds this enemy army and then lets them go. The king listens to Elisha. Elisha has a voice worth listening to. The king listens to the voice of Elisha. He listens to that divine intel. Don't go here. That's where the Syrians are. And then right here, we just read, he listens and decides he will feed the army, these enemies, and let them go. So things are good for a while, and uh, time passes, as it does. And we read in verse 24. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. So the purpose of a siege is to basically starve out or otherwise weaken that fortified city. And its success depends on how well stocked the city is. So if you get the idea, they are safe while they're in their city, while they've got supplies, while they've got food and whatever else they might need, they're okay, they can wait it out. But if they need to leave their city to get more provision, that's where the enemy is roundabout and they will be captured, taken over, who only knows, let your imagination run wild. So I don't know how long this siege has been going on, but it's got bad. Their stocks are gone. They're resorted now to the barely edible, we will read for ourselves. 
and it's very expensive to buy the berry, barely edible. Verse 25, and there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings <laughs> for five shekels of silver. Now, I am too kind to go straight on. I actually have to just tell you what I learned about dove droppings. It might not be quite as bad because I looked into this. I've read a few things. So dove droppings, I don't know if you're ever out camping, are a very useful fuel for fire. They can be used as a salt substitute. Okay, supermarkets run out. Anyway, Perhaps more palatable in the context of our story, it could actually just be referring to a wild vegetable. We'll pretend that, shall we? Yeah. We're, we're going to pretend that. But unfortunately, um, it gets worse. <laughs> and I, I can't... Verse 26. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help, my lord, O king! And he said, if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Then the king said to her, what's troubling you? And she answered, this woman said to me, I'll read it fast, give your son that we may eat him today and we'll eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him, but she's hidden her son. There we go. Was that, was that more helpful, reading it fast? Just, we'll just... So the king is rightly appalled by this, and his solution is to have Elisha beheaded, which just makes me wonder, does Elisha look tasty? It's what I think. Anyway, another solution would be for the siege to end. Okay, I wonder which one happens. Let's find out. We're going to miss a few verses. We're going to go to chapter 7, verse 1. We have Elisha. They are at the door, ready to behead him. Elisha has opportunity to speak first. Verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, a seer of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord could make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Seer is another unit of measure. So whereas a donkey's head can be purchased for 80 shekels of silver, or there's cannibalism, Elisha prophesies, turnaround is coming, whereby for one shekel you can buy a seer of fine flour or two seers of barley. It seems impossible, and the officer speaks out. He backchats Elisha, and he basically questions and challenges and ridicules that God could possibly do anything. So Elisha says, well, you'll get to see it, but you're not going to partake. Unbelief means the officer 
won't get to partake in the bounty that's coming, which is very good advice. Avoid unbelief. <laughs> Personally, sometimes I need to think less. I need to stop where my thoughts are taking me. I need to not concern myself with how this might happen, when it might happen. Just pull back the thinking. Just go with the flow. And if doubt is in your head, don't speak it out. Zip the lip. That's from... Oh. That was our backstory. We've set the scene. If you've got a traditional Bible, hold your place. We're coming back here. But I want to share with you how the Lord brought this to my attention. We live in a no-through road. We have done for over 25 years now, and it's been grand. I don't imagine that we're going to move. It's all pretty good. Haven't, haven't really bothered with it. It's not a concern. Why would it be? Well, it is a concern. The last few months, I turn into my street, I see no through road, and it's really been bugging me. And I see the road, the sign, says no through road, but what I think is dead end. I turn into our street knowing I live on a road where continuation is not possible. It's a road which limits momentum and flow. Forward potential is contained. And I don't want any of that describing, invading, impacting my life and my relationship with God. So we were coming home after dinner at Friends, and as I noticed our son, I realized that they live on a no-through road too. <laughs> and I didn't doubt their relationship with God. I didn't think their lives were being negatively impacted by living on this no-through road. So knowing others in the same predicament can be very helpful to morale. <laughs> and it can help us see another perspective. Nevertheless, the fact that it had been repeatedly grabbing my attention, I just endeavoured as best I could to stay sensitive to the Lord. What is he trying to show me? What greater significance, what truth is there that he has in this for me? Because it, you know, I can get it's not really normal to be preoccupied with the sign. <laughs> so a tense relational moment helped me see the light. It was tense for me as I realised my expectations were unreasonable. And the only way for me to move forward was to change my expectations and accept a different way. Wow. And that was free marriage advice right there. <laughs> so let me use another picture to explain this. I want you to imagine an Olympic swimming pool. Are you ready with your imagination? It's 50 metres long. It's 10 lanes wide. And we have in our imagination an elite athlete. And he's about to compete. Okay, she. She's about to compete. I don't know that you want to be this person. He, he is about to compete. Golly, front row. Um, <laughs> in the 100 metre butterfly. <laughs> so... He dives in, 
smoothly and powerfully. He is swimming majestically. He blitzes the first 50 meters and he comes to the wall and he stops. All right, charades, that's me stopping. <laughs> he comes to the wall and he stops. He, the wall won't move. What's he going to do? Well, he does nothing. Oh. So stopped by the obstacle in front of him, he goes nowhere. The race is over for him. Now the other swimmers turn at the wall, keep swimming, and one of them gets to be the winner. If an obstacle is blocking you, if it's not in your power to resolve a situation, rather than stopping in defeat, consider it a redirection as you turn around and keep on going. God is very willing to reveal forward momentum strategies which may begin with turning around. So a shout out to Robin. If you're watching online this morning, a shout out to Robin who shared this Zig Ziglar quote on Facebook. When obstacles arise, you change your direction to reach your goal. You do not change your decision to get there. That's, that's, I'm going to say it again. Zig Ziglar. When obstacles arise, you change your direction to reach your goal. You do not change your decision to get there. So rather than seeing my street as stopping in a dead end, I'm now encouraged that to explore the new, I just need to backtrack over the road already travelled. In life, familiarity with certain tasks, repeating previous accomplishments, builds confidence to face the new and unexpected. Yeah. Sharing our testimonies enthuses uh, participation with the possible so that both we and others can be renewed in confidence to experience those victories for ourselves. It is time to meet today's heroes. Two kings. We're still in chapter 7. I said earlier they inspire me not to quit. 2, two Kings 7 and we're up to verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, uh, we die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. <laughs> Today's heroes, I want you to meet the four leprous men with the courageous, not quitting realization. Die here or die there? Let's try something. You know, they're not in denial. They are fully aware of the situation. They appreciate the facts. I think they're kind of glass half full guys, because maybe something will go well. Maybe the enemy army of Syrians who are besieging our city, well, maybe they'll spare us. They are societal outcasts with a hope and will to live that inspires me. A hope and will to live. I call that heroic. 
And did you notice there were four men at the gate? And the four men discussed it together. And spoiler alert, four men are going to approach the Syrian camp. They didn't draw straws to see if one would go first and the others would just kind of watch and see, is he going to get killed? Is he going to be fed? They all went. They all committed to the task, not knowing how it would turn out. And I really like that about them as well. Verse 5. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, this is the Syrians in the camp, they said, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight, left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. Do you remember that little detail we read earlier when Elisha said to his servant, those who are with us are more than those with them. And he revealed the multitude of horses and chariots of fire around about. Now, this is a different time frame. And I don't know if it's the same you know, scenario, but I just wonder if that spiritual reality, that supernatural realm that we read about and got a, a look at earlier, is that what the Syrian armies then heard with their very own ears? Whatever it is they heard, whether it was those chariots and horses, whether they were different chariots and horses, whatever they were, they definitely heard something that did not sound like four tentative lepers approaching the camp to see how they would be received. See, it would have been usual for the Syrian army, once fleeing, to set fire to everything. You don't leave your campsite behind for others to come and plunder and take advantage from. It would have been more usual for them to burn everything. But God is well able to change the usual for his purposes. That in itself is a truth nugget. Verse 8. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and went back and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Oh. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So I can't really say what's their driving motivation, whether it's that they want to share the good news or actually they just don't want to get in trouble, but whatever. They go back to the city from which they've been ostracized. Verse 10. So they went and called to the gatekeeper of the city and told them, saying, we went to the Syrian camp. And surprisingly, no one was there. Not a human sound. Only horses and donkeys tied and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know we're hungry. 
Therefore, they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. So he's anticipating an ambush. And his reasoning is very reasonable. The Syrians' camp, if a boy abandoned, should be smoking in ruin, not left for the taking. The king knows this. One of his servants actually sums up a very realistic, or a realistic? He sums up a good option. He says to the king, well, we can go and look, and it won't go well for us. Or we're going to stay here and die of hunger very, very soon anyway. You know, there, here, not good, not good. But maybe it'll be different. Nothing to lose. Same outcome, unless it's different. King agrees, verse 14. Therefore they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons, which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seer of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seers of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him at the gate. And he died. Just as the man of God had said. Yeah. <laughs> Who spoke when the king came down to him. You know, these heroes were hungry, diseased outcasts. Hungry, diseased outcasts. Without a doubt, heroes come in all shapes and sizes. Four leprous men, and to a lesser extent, a servant willing to test out their story. They shared in a remarkable outcome brought about by a die here or die there suggestion. A question we can ask ourselves, what haven't I tried because it might fail? We can be inspired by our lepers. We can fail because we didn't try. We can fail because we did try. Or we can try and maybe succeed. These lepers weren't quitters. They had a hope and will to live. And unbeknownst to them, they were the star in the starring roles of God's divine plan to fulfill his word and turn around a dead end result. They didn't set out to scatter an army, end a siege, and save their city. Surely that would have been an overwhelming idea. They were just hoping for food in their bellies. Big thinking can be overwhelming, perhaps exciting, <laughs> perhaps not. If the big picture is overwhelming, resist unbelief. Pull back the imagination and just attend to the here and now first. And I've got some examples in a moment which may even help a bit further. 
I mentioned earlier how children like to dress up as superheroes and that I believe God has put in us that desire to be more than we are. That's his nature inside of us, stirring and rising up the potential he's gifted to us. And not only the desire, but he also gives us the power. The same power which facilitated the ultimate dead end turnaround. Jesus died. Dead end. And he rose again. That same power is available to us. I have over here my trusty passion translation. I just want to read from Ephesians 1 about this power. I pray. So right now, I'm actually going to make that literal. I pray, be ready to receive. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works for you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. See, whatever your dead end, his power is available there. Let me encourage you with some examples of what this really might look like in your daily lives. And I'm going to begin with some examples that you might think are laughable. They're too insignificant, and you take them for granted. And if that's the case, well done. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that there are people that need the immeasurable greatness of his power to do some of these first ones. Get out of bed and face the day. If you take that for granted, if that's something really easy, I'm so happy for you. That is not everybody's testimony. To like our, like, be like our lepers, to have a hope and will to live. I think today was um, some sort of remembrance day for suicide this week. Not everyone has a hope and will to live. And if that is a struggle in your life, the immeasurable greatness of his power is present and available to help you. Indeed, ask for and receive help. Have the strength to love our family and friends. Sensitively and clearly put safe boundaries in place. Manage our finances with self-control and generosity. Have capacity to work. Share the good news of Jesus and people be restored to right relationship with Father, for Father God. Pray for people and see them healed all outworkings of the immeasurable greatness of his power within us. Achieve medical breakthroughs or other innovative discoveries. Wonderful. And raise the dead. Raising the dead is personally on my bucket list. And I've tried. And, you know, it didn't hit the papers, so, you know, it wasn't one of those success stories. But I tried. I tried. Like our lepers. Next time might be different. Some days, my challenges lie with those earlier examples. 
The immeasurable greatness of his power is available to us in every situation. It meets us where we're at. His presence in our lives, leading, guiding, waiting for us to follow, empowers us to show and share his goodness with others, whatever our circumstance. The lepers were hungry. That's all they were. They were just hungry. And that motivation, covered in God's power, ministered to the hunger of all in their city. We are divinely purposed for such a time and place as this right now. Heroes come in all shapes and sizes. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.